Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. In one of our earlier podcasts, we had talked about taking over a new code base, maybe some legacy code and what are some, what's the most important thing to kind of start testing. Uh, and I think the idea there was to kind of get like an insurance or like a nice comfortable blanket around it, making sure that mm -hmm. you know that these changes or at least this app is going to work fine when you make a couple changes. Now that we've written some tests around an application like that, we have an interesting choice. We can continue down that road and kind of get, you know, maybe less and less return and maybe start refactoring a few things. Mm -hmm. Or there might be other things for big wins, more important wins that we could do. So I thought I'd ask you, Joel, what, what if you've written some tests around and you're kind of comfortable with the, the tests suite you have, again, it's not perfect. What's, what's some of the next steps that you might take with a legacy code base? One of the places I universally like to start is to find and weed out dead code. So like there's a controller hanging around that there's no routes, routes going to it, or there's these models that exist, but there's not even any tables or migrations or things for them. And that might sound kind of weird, but I've yet to inherit an app that didn't have at least several things in mm -hmm. that category. I, I, the reason I find that helpful is because then you can kind of take a step back and look at what remains and decide like, well, what needs the most attention. But if you're looking at everything and then you start working on something and you realize, oh, this isn't actually used anywhere. I can just delete it. I'd rather know that upfront, get that stuff out of the way. And like you mentioned, it's kind of a quick, easy win. So I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate on that. Okay. Uh, so, so imagine, I, I guess you're making it sound to me like when you get this code base, you actually understand what it does. <laughs> but I guess that's my concern is when you say mm -hmm. things like, well, I know this is not in use. There's a myriad of different ways that code can be in use. So maybe then I guess a better question is how, how do you even determine that code isn't in use? So for me, the, the kind of the way I think of a Laravel application, the way I, I parse it and review it is, is essentially from the routes file in. So if, if, there, if I look at the routes file and there is nothing going to a given controller, well, clearly that's not in use, right? There, there's no secret way of calling a controller without a route being there. I mean, I guess you could put public methods on it and then new it up in some other class, but thankfully I have yet to be exposed to anything quite that bad. Actually... All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear the horror stories. Actually, um, isn't there a way to call uh, controllers and actions uh, with like some sort of action helper that allows you to say run this action? And sure, that right. Be, and that won't be in the routes then. Yeah, like like are you talking about a redirect or something returned from somewhere yeah. else, or maybe yeah. like building a link from a uh, a view? Yeah, a blade view. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I, yes, I don't just look at the routes file in isolation and then be like, I'm going to start deleting stuff. But to me, it's pretty rare to have something not defining your routes at all, but yet be in use in the app. But you're, but to your point, yes, you would not want to just go off and start deleting stuff. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that I do in a situation like that is instead of deleting those files, what I will do is I'll put some logging in 
uh, into those files. So, so for example, inside of a controller where there's a method that I'm pretty certain is in, in use, the first thing I'll do is I'll log uh, to the very top of that something like I was called and I am XYZ <laughs> method. Um, and at least then let the application run for a little while just to verify that all these things aren't there. And then, you know, maybe if you use in like production, a little, you mean. yeah, yeah. In production. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you use some sort of like little keyword, like to do remove or something like that as part of your log, uh, then you might be able to like track all those down, you know, in a month or so in the code base and say all the places where I've, I've done this, uh, I don't see any logs for these. So none of these are actually mm -hmm. used. See, I, I thought you were going to say, you were going to comment out the controller and just leave it in Git for the rest of time. Oh, because... no. <laughs> <laughs> I know how much you love that, you know, when oh, you see copies Lord. of files and it's like, trust your version control. All right. Yeah, that's I, I like that approach. I've, I've never actually tried that, but I could see how that would be useful. All right. So let, let's, uh, for the sake of argument, let's say that we've weeded out the dead code by whatever means we feel is uh, useful. The next thing I like to do, uh, again, I sort of have this route controller mentality. That's kind of like the main driver of the application is I'll, I will look at cleaning up those routes. Uh, and specifically, I like to default to the, um, the convention of the resourceful controller, you know, where you have your, mm -hmm. your predefined seven methods. And um, I will try to start fitting those into that shape. So if there's a controller that has 20 methods, that's probably going to get my attention. And I'll, I'll look at that and understand that. And generally, the, the, the place I start is I'll identify things that really should be split off into like a single action controller. You know, like if there's something that's um, handling some process type thing outside of the normal CRUD application, um, I'll break that off and, and name it and move it and then test it too. So maybe I'm just feeling like being that guy today. You know, I already said, well, actually, <laughs> well, actually. You know, I've, I've argued with everything and I've, I've pushed up yeah. my glasses in a very nerdy way. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, my question along those lines is, is what does that get you for the mm -hmm. amount of effort you've uh, spent on it? First of all, I, I would say generally speaking, it's a pretty mechanical change, right? So there, there is some risk involved. Again, it depends on how bad this app is. You know, if if it's not using route helpers or named routes or things like that, where you have to do a lot of string parsing to find like where this thing might be called from, um, mm -hmm. that, that's a little more work. But assuming it's not a total train wreck, it's just kind of got out of hand and grew beyond what I consider to be reasonable. It's that would be my first point is it's not a major change. Like you're actually not writing new logic. You're just kind of moving things around. But what I get out of that is number one, I started to get real test coverage. You know, we, we talked about starting off with kind of smoke tests and happy and critical paths and things like that. But once I move it, I'm sort of taking more ownership and I'll write more complete test coverage for the thing I move. And second, it, I just find it less daunting when I want to add a feature or work in this code base. It, it, it's sort of fitting more into the shape of an app I would have built from the start. And so I find that a nice return on investment for me as a developer, of course, the business, it's, it's hard to go to them and be like, you know what? I spent three weeks and I moved all these controllers around and it looks beautiful. So <laughs> you're kind of pairing things together. You know, it's a little bit of right. cleanup here, making it a little bit nicer than you found it. But in the meantime, like actually doing real work, fixing bugs, writing features uh, along with it. I think I think I, I agree with you. And, and what I would say, one additional bonus you get there is when you're 
probably moving those around, you're just getting some exposure to all mm -hmm. of the code and all of the right. stuff too. Um, so not only are you, I mean, don't move things around just to learn about the app. That's not the point. No, but no. if you are going to be refactoring to more of a convention, you get to touch all these different methods and, and at least kind of scan over them. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've done something completely unrelated in the code and then remembered like a couple weeks later, like, oh, I thought there was something somewhere in one file somewhere <laughs> that said X, Y, Z. And you're like, I better check. And sure enough, it was something that you barely touched. But right. since you had kind of scanned it with your eyes, so somewhere in the back of your mind, it's it stuck. Yep. Yeah, that, that for sure. That is the, uh, definitely a side benefit of doing that. So you said basically then uh, moving controller, you know, moving controllers more into conventions, getting rid of extra routes. Mm -hmm. uh, what other things? You want me to tell you all my secrets? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like uh, to okay. work in threes. So what's the okay, third? Okay, all right. I can give you one more. I'll give you one yeah. more. Um, another one I like to look at are the models, and so uh, this is obviously a matter that's somewhat subjective. But I find in these legacy apps, a lot of logic tends to end up in the model that isn't really model-specific logic. It might belong better somewhere else. It might be something that was written in a much earlier version of Laravel, and now there's something in the framework that does what that function is doing. And mm -hmm. so I, I, that'll kind of be my next pass. So I've, I've looked at the routes and controllers. Um, now I'll kind of dig down into the models and go through them and see like where are these used uh sometimes too this is kind of a silly thing but sometimes something will have a name that makes no sense because it started out as one thing and then it kind of mm -hmm. grew as the app grew and now but the name never changed like nobody ever took the time to refactor it and rename it for its new purpose so kind of cleaning up logic in the models renaming them where it's just like a total disconnect from what the thing actually is currently um that would that would be my next of the big three to, to get into. Cool. Well, I think you kind of touched on this too, but I, I want to double back on it is that, uh, you know, you're not just moving stuff around to move things around mm -hmm. and you're, you're trying to gain something from this and make it easier to follow. One of the things that I like to bring up though is, so obviously I have a, a extensive experience working with teams when you're in a team, though, you have to have these conversations with your team oh, yeah. before you yeah. just start doing it. Otherwise, you're going to just start moving stuff around. Everyone's going to be moving things around with yeah. their own opinion. So mm -hmm. this is a good example of these are great tips, but it depends on how you're working on your project, too. Right. The, the tips get implemented differently based off if you're working by yourself or with a team. So if you're looking at doing something like this, you might have a conversation with your team or with your dev manager or something like that and say, this is my intention and this is the steps I'd, I'd like to take. Does this seem like something that you know, makes sense for our group? Yeah, that, that's a good point because especially if you're joining the team, right? Like, you know, a lot of times that's how we get introduced <laughs> to what I would call a legacy code base is we're, we're joining a team. The, the people on that team, they've internalized those pains for so long that they've sort of stopped feeling them. But a lot of times I'll bring something up like, why, why does this have this name? And then there's a story. Oh, yeah, you know, we, we should have done that three years ago. But um, that, that's kind of useful to get some outside perspective. You, you come in fresh and you're asking these questions and the people on the team understand why. Now, sometimes, like you're, to your point, they'll explain why that might seem wrong, but that actually is the right thing. Or they'll explain why that hasn't been done because it's too risky or or whatever. Mm. But yeah, team communication, definitely an, an important aspect of this for sure. 
So I have an ethical question for you, Joel. Do you think it is ethical for all these fitness people to be hawking fitness machines that they don't particularly use or for any of us really to kind of recommend things that we don't use? Oh boy. I don't think there's an ethical dilemma in recommending something you don't use because like, for example, a doctor may suggest you take a medication (laughs) that they don't take. (laughs) So like, you know what I mean? Like somebody can see the benefits of something for you and not necessarily use it themselves. However, I would say there are definitely circumstances where people are hawking things purely for a commission or money, and it is very disingenuous, and it probably would cross that ethical line. I think you can tell, too. Like, So if you haven't uh, met me, I'm probably the size of three humans. And uh, if I Stepped were on top of uh, each other or uh, no, not, not tall, no. <laughs> okay. And uh, if, if I was hawking the fitness machine, like the Chuck Norris fitness machine or something, <laughs> okay, you'd be like, um, maybe that's ethical, but it certainly wouldn't really help it sell. Trust me. Where's my cheeseburger? Does Chuck Norris have a, a exercise machine? Well, wasn't there someone who had one? Like, I'm is it, sure there is a person that has a machine, yes. <laughs> Was that that guy, Bo Flex? He has one. Okay. Um, no, I think what you're saying is less an issue of ethics and more an issue of credibility. Um, oh, yeah. So, like, if there's this super buff dude selling me a, a machine that's kind of for beginners, like, that's different than somebody that clearly does not enjoy exercise being like, oh, you should really get this machine. So I will not yeah. I will not be selling exercise equipment either by this criteria, just for the record. <laughs> are, you, are you a sucker of for those things, though, that are demonstrated really well? Like when you go to like a, a festival or something and they show you those pans that somehow yes. can cook everything. And I'm like, you know, I, I certainly use one pan and I throw it in a dishwasher and destroy it in a month. But those look awesome, and I'll bet I'll take care of those. No, it's like a real life infomercial. Yeah, those, especially if the person knows oh. what they're doing, they could be quite entertaining and hard yeah. to resist at the end. Did you like Joel's three steps and want to learn the six additional secret steps or even more that he won't share? Then head over to our website at nocompromises.io/tips and sign up for our weekly newsletter.